Well, good morning and welcome to Daybreak. And uh, this morning we're talking in our series about this idea of firing on all cylinders. How do, I, how do I live my life so that it's really full, to the very fullest that God intended it? How do, I, how do I find real greatness? And I think that in our culture, at least especially in our teenage culture and for our kids these days, this is a, it's a real phenomenon that's a, that's a challenge and a struggle. And here's why I think that's true. And when I grew up, um, you know, and you looked around for greatness, there was just a limited amount of things that you saw, right? But for my kids when they grow up, there are viral videos abound, right, to show these great people who do great things. Like this guy that like rides a bike, like I saw him on this video, like he, would, he rode a bike, like he could ride like across a tree branch and jump off, and, and he like rides across like, you know, picnic tables, they flip up and flip down, he, he manages not to kill himself, like just all these amazing things, and you, you see guys like doing just incredible things over and over and over where they're like, they're doing stuff that you're like, how in the world did they pull that off? You know, you're waiting for like the guy to come out like and do open heart surgery on himself on the YouTube video, right? Like, wow, that's, that's really great. Like, I, I don't know how you would do that. And yet when we see that, we go, wow. And I think our, in the teenage world too, I think they start to see that and they go, well, I guess if you're going to be great, you got to be the starter on the team or the president of the company or you got to be that person who can do that amazing thing on that viral video like that's what greatness is all about like that's what everything is celebrated so I guess that's what it means to be really great but here's what I've noticed and I don't know if you've noticed this too in your own life whenever you're trying to be great whenever you think about like you know I'm gonna take on this challenge and like, look, I'm going to show them really great. I'm going, to, I'm going to take on this thing that's bigger than me, and I'm going to tackle it, and you're, or you're really working on to be great, or you're doing something that you feel maybe particularly competent in, but you're not sure if other people around you know just how competent you are. And so you're doing this great thing, and you're trying to kind of prove it to others or just at least, like, feel it. What I've noticed is that most times when I'm doing that, when other people are doing it, it's not, they don't feel actually great when they're doing it. Like, as a result of it, they don't feel great. They feel stressed. They feel harried. Um, they feel actually less secure in those places than they do secure. And so when you start to think about greatness and the way the measures that our world uses for greatness, you start to wonder, like, is that really all that great? And so Jesus says, if you want to know about greatness, then you've got to live a different way. And what you should know is that being great isn't about being popular. Being great isn't about being first. Being great isn't about being well-known or successful. That's not what greatness is about. And he lived a life this way. I mean, just let's just review a little bit of Jesus' life, okay? So Jesus was born, if you didn't know, he's born son of a carpenter, okay? Not the most, like, profound, well-known profession of people going like, wow, right? And he grew up in a town called Nazareth. And Nazareth was like, let's say you grew up in Perry County, like me, right? Like, people are like, Wow, you grew up in Perry County? Whoa, you must really be someone. Like, no one says that to me about growing up in Perry. I don't know why, but they don't say that to me about growing up in Perry County, right? So this is Jesus, right? Grows up in Nazareth. Everybody, it's like Perry County of that area, okay? So grows up in Nazareth, and as he, as he gets older and he lives his life, let's just examine, like, Jesus' measure of success. Jesus, do you know Jesus had just a little more than 12 close friends? That's all. In, in his 33 years, 12 close friends. And of those 12, by the way, one of them betrayed him to death. Another one that he thought could be really counted on 
denied that he ever knew him when Jesus needed him most. Nine of them, in Jesus' big moment at the cross, abandoned, as far as we can tell, they flew the scene. They, they didn't want anywhere near it. Talk about, like, hmm, what is success? I mean, Jesus was never president of a company. He never made any significant money. He never even had a YouTube viral video. I mean, I mean, this is not, like, this is the epitome of not great. And yet, Jesus' life affected more people and changed our world more than any other single person who has ever lived. He is well well known and respected across so many different religions. Jesus. He lived a life differently. So what does he say about greatness? What does he say about what it really means to be great? Well, here's the bottom line. And here it is so that if you stayed up for the Penn State game last night just to be disappointed and you can't keep your eyes open the rest of the message, here it is, okay? If you want to really be great, if you want to fire on all cylinders, then you need to know that serving others rather than serving yourself is the path to greatness. In God's kingdom and in God's family, that's how you truly find greatness. And so if you pull out this little... This little light blue sheet in your program guide today, you can follow along and take some notes as we talk about, like, if you really want to be great, if you want to fire on all cylinders, then serve. So let's talk about Jesus' first kind of big lesson to his disciples when he says, listen, you guys need to learn how to be a servant in God's family. Learn how to be a servant in God's family. Now, to understand what Jesus is really talking about, first we have to understand what does it mean to be a servant. I mean, in the first century, because Probably most of us, when we think about like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what a servant is. It's like Alfred for Bruce Wayne, right? Like, he knows how to serve. Yeah, I know what a servant is. But in the first century, this was not what being a servant, this was not what the disciples heard when he said be a servant. What they heard was, in the Roman Empire, when another country was taken over, you would become a servant, never to be free again. Okay, so this was not a position you wanted to find yourself in. And if you were even a Roman citizen, you know, you want to know what the FPU plan is in Rome? If you go into debt and you have lots of credit debt, the creditors call you. They don't call you and say, when are you going to pay it back? They call you and say, guess whose slave you are now, okay? And, And if you're a Roman citizen, you're lucky enough that you become that person's servant until you pay it off, until they say it's paid off. So at least if you're a Roman citizen, you have that much. And even in the Hebrew culture, it was serving went back a long time in terms of, like, people having to pay off debts and becoming a bond slave. And in the Hebrew culture, the Mosaic Law even then provided for someone to say, wow, my master is really good. I'm just going to volunteer after this. Like, I just, I just want to continue to be a servant. But so when they heard servant, they didn't hear something you wanted to be. They didn't hear that's a dignified profession. They heard this is a position you never, ever, ever want to find yourself in. And so what they heard was a servant is this subservient person who is forced to serve a master for no benefit to themselves. That's what they heard. Jesus said, be a servant. That's what they heard. And so Jesus goes on to help them redefine what it means to be a servant. He actually redefines what servant means. He says, no, no, no. A servant in my kingdom, a servant is someone who chooses to put someone else more important in themselves. A servant is someone who says, you know what, I'm going to make my life about someone else instead of myself. 
It turns out that in God's kingdom, in Jesus' way of living, centering your life on yourself is not the way to be great. It's something very different. And so in Mark 9, we find this passage, and um, the disciples are having this argument in this passage. Now, I want you to get context for Mark chapter 9, because they're having this fight in Mark chapter 9, but you need to know what happened before it. Before they have this fight, they have been out on the road with Jesus, seeing some incredible things happen. I mean, a couple of them went up on the mountain, it's called the Transfiguration, and like God spoke, and like they saw Elijah and Moses come down, they had this incredibly supernatural event, and it was like, holy smokes, they were like, hey, let's just stay here, like let's not even leave, Jesus was like, no, 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 you're missing the whole point, and so they leave, but Jesus empowers them and gives them authority, and so they begin to also heal people, and so they're out actually healing people, healing the blind, raising the lame, like the things are happening, they're casting out demons, like they are seeing, like can you imagine seeing that supernatural work of God, like being around Jesus and having that happen, like that's pretty amazing, so you'd think that they'd be walking down the road going, dude, did you see what that Man, God is so incredible. But that's not their conversation. They're gods. And so they're walking down the road saying, dude, did you see what I did? I, like, I raised that guy from the dead. Like, he was, like, almost dead. Like, he, was, he couldn't walk. And, like, I got him up. Like, did you see that? The other guy's like, that's nothing. My guy was blind, and now I can see. And the other one's like, I didn't even have to tell the demon to came out. I just looked at him like this, you know. And so... And, and, so, they're ha- and they're, so they're guys, they're just doing this. All, and there's one up each other arguing, who's really great here? Who is the greatest among all of us? And Jesus is walking ahead of them, and you know, he can kind of hear it in the background. And so they get to where they're going, and this is where we pick up in Mark chapter 9, verse 33. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, Hey, what were you talking about? What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Okay, so let's pause it for a second. You, you know what's happening here, right? The kids got caught talking about something that they knew they shouldn't be talking about. And so they're like, uh, uh, nothing. Uh, you didn't hear anything, Dad. Like, there's nothing going on here, Dad. We, we, we're not talking about anything. You know that, that feeling, right? So they're caught totally. And they've been talking about, like, who is the greatest. And yet they have the sense already. Jesus hasn't addressed this with them verbally. As far as we know, this is like their first big lesson in this, and they have the sense. This is not who Jesus is about. This is not what he lives his life like. And so Jesus sits them down, and he calls 12 together, and this is, he's like the master of like object lessons, right? Jesus is so good at this. So he calls them together. He sits them down. He says, okay, if any of you wants to be first, then he must be the very last, the servant of all. Remember what they heard when they heard servant of all. So he took a little child that he had standing among them, and he took him in his arms, and he said to them, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but welcomes the one who sent me. So what's going on here? Okay, so Jesus takes this little child. Now, in this culture, they view children differently than we view them. In our culture, we almost worship our children, right? Like, 
Oh, my word. They have, they have all these sports they have to be. I have to rearrange my entire schedule around my children to make sure everything. I don't ever want my child not to like me, right? Like, like we, this, is, am I off on that? Is that not a phenomenon? In our, I'm not saying you all do it, okay? I know that you don't do that. But it, right, I want my kids to like me. and I want, So I'm always debating those things. So we have this different attitude about children. They're very noble in our society. But in the first century, they were unpeople. And the people who dealt with children, they were on people. They were people of the lowest status. They were not great in any way. Anyone who would pay attention to a child is a nobody. And so when Jesus puts a child in the middle, they're all like, what's going on here? And when he says anyone who welcomes a child, what's going through their heads and their heart is, what? Anyone who lowers themselves? Anyone who puts a child first? We thought what you meant was something different, but now you're saying, like, that's what you meant by being last to be first? What? So something is very, like, he has just totally upset their apple cart. And he drives it home, and here's the lesson. He says, listen, in my kingdom, this is the way it works, in my family, here's here's how it's going to be. You don't become great by making yourself feel great. You become great by making someone else feel great. That's the way it works. That's what it's all about. See, what's what's going on here behind the scenes in our interior life is this. When you make someone else great, when you do something that, let's say, you don't like love to do, right, and you put someone else first, even though you really want to be first, but you're like, ah, okay, I'm going to try this, Something happens on the inside, doesn't it? You actually step out of the center of your life and you say, okay, even if I don't really love to do this, even though I don't want to do it, like I'm going to step out of the center of my life and I'm going to make that person, other person first. And by doing so, Jesus says you leave a vacuum. And what's he say? Anyone who does that puts someone else first. Who does he welcome? He welcomes Jesus, but not just Jesus, but the one who sends So by stepping out of the center of your life, by by making yourself not the center of your life, you leave room for you to experience Jesus in a new way. And something happens on the interior of your life when you realize that doing something for someone else is not about you being great. In fact, that's the whole point. Jesus uses this child illustration to say, it's not about you doing something to make yourself look great or feel great. It's about actually doing something that lowers downward mobility for you so that you'll step out of the center of your life and you'll realize nothing you can do can make me love you more or less. You are already great because you're my creation, and I want you to experience it. And the only way you'll ever experience it is to step out of the center of your life and stop trying to prove it and simply serve somebody else. Make them feel greater. Give it away. Now, we, we, we all struggle with this a little bit in our lives, so like we all have like Let's take family, right? You all have things that you do around the house that's not your favorite things to do, but there's a family chores, right? Somebody has to do them, right? So somebody has to do the dishes. Somebody has to clean the toilet. Somebody has to cook. Somebody has to clean. You, you get this, right? This, this happens in your family too, I'm sure. And guys, let me give you a little hint, okay? In this whole period, like this whole thing of stepping out of the center of your life, even if you're like, I don't really understand that yet, let me just tell you how this works a little bit. If your wife, for example, asks you to help out with something around the house, and you do it begrudgingly, you get no credit, okay? So if you want to get credit, if you just, if, 
all you're doing it for is just to get a little credit and street credit with your wife, don't do it begrudgingly. Look on the inside and say, if I do this out of love, it changes something. And not just for them, but for you. I mean, the reality here is this that Jesus is saying. When we do something from which we do not benefit, we benefit. When I do something for which I don't get a benefit for on the outside, something happens on the inside, and I benefit. I benefit relationally with others. It changes things when I do that. Now, there's this attitude that happens for all of us in this place, and this is the difference. There's, there's this thing called, like, I call it servitude and servanthood. And we can easily do tasks that we have around the house or in our lives or in the family of God with an attitude of servitude. Servitude is this place where we do something and we're just kind of begrudgingly, we kind of like we're the first definition of a servant. Yeah, I got to do this. Got to get it done. Don't really have a choice. Servanthood is when we do it willingly. We choose to do it out of love. We step out of the center of our lives. Here's an easy way to think about it. Imagine going down the, driving down the road. You see guys in an orange vest with a little white van parked off to the side. You know who they are, right? You know where they're from. And what do you think? Servitude. They're not doing it because they have a choice. They're doing it because they have to. Imagine driving a little farther down the road, and you see some kids in an orange vest and a little white van from Oak Grove Baptist Church or wherever it is, and they're picking up trash. And what do you think? You think, I wish my teenager would just do that around my house, right? Like, like you think, wow, like that's true service. Like they're choosing to do this when they could be doing something else. Like that's servanthood. And it's important that we don't get the two mixed up. It's important that when we choose to serve, that we're checking our heart, that we know that this is about an inner journey in our life. How we approach serving is vital to our experience of serving. And Experience that rich interior life that God is inviting you to is about knowing how you approach serving. Because Jesus is saying, the greatest people in my kingdom don't center them li- their, their lives on themselves or showing off how great they are. They center themselves on showing off how great and how much value other people have. They say, I'm going to love you and I'm going to willingly step out of the center of my life and I'm going to continue to center my life around Jesus. And that's a whole different way of thinking. That's why Jesus did all of this stuff, because he's inviting us to a whole different way of thinking. And this is a progression, because I'm just telling you, like, sometimes there are places in my life where I thought, like, oh, I was serving, and I thought, like, I had stepped a little way away from the center of my life, but I really hadn't allowed Jesus to come in and be the center of my life. I'm still doing stuff for Jesus, and in doing stuff for Jesus, I found that I really hadn't uncentered my life on me, right? Right? Because when you're doing things for Jesus, you're still doing them for you, for Jesus, to prove something. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The whole point is, let me be in your life. Create the vacuum. Let me be in my life. Center your life around me, about my love for you, about your love for others. And then you'll be about my kingdom. Now, the Apostle Paul, who served a lot of different places, and he had to do this a lot, stepping out of the center of his life. It centered his life on Jesus. He gave up a lot. He served a lot. He experienced servitude and servanthood and this gap between them. This is what he says about serving. Galatians 6, he says, let us not become weary for do, in doing good. It's easy to become weary in doing good. Paul says, don't become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially 
those who belong in the family of believers. Paul says it pays off. If you're just willing to serve, if you're just willing to be out there, don't grow weary in it. Don't give up on it. Don't hold back from it. Because there is a harvest to be reaped both on the interior of your life and the exterior and interior of other people's lives. Things change when we serve. That's why we provide you lots of opportunities to serve here at Daybreak. We have opportunities all the time. We call them Sunday serves. It's one way, as Paul said, especially in your family of believers. Like if you can serve anywhere, like you can do good someplace, especially in the family of believers, there's something special that happens there when we serve each other. And it's really important to our experience of following Jesus. And so Paul says, this is a great place. You know that there's more than 300 people every weekend on both campuses on a Sunday that serve. That serve in different places, in different positions. I think that's beautiful. And there's over 500 people that during the week, including Sunday serves, there's 500 people that serve the family of believers here at Daybreak. They give themselves over. They step out of the center of their life and they say, I want to make you more important. I want to, I believe that you can be great. And I believe that the path to greatness is when I get out of the way and I make Jesus central and I make you central. And I serve you. I think it's beautiful because what it shows is that we really are a church who believes that the path to greatness, what really being true greatness is measured by, is how we serve. And so if you consider this your church, I just want to invite you, like, you're part of our spiritual family. You're, you're coming. Like, don't hold back. There are lots of places for you to participate in this journey. And if you're following Jesus, this isn't just about like, oh, well, like, hey, when that works for me, I'll, I'll let you know. This is Jesus saying, listen, somewhere in your life you need to be doing this because this is the way that you actually live when you're following Jesus. This is the way, and it's, and it's a better way. That's Jesus, what he's trying to teach his disciples. It's the better way. When you center your life on yourself, it's going to be harried and it's going to throw you up. This is the better way. And so there are lots of opportunities for you to do that. In fact, if you look in your program guide today and pull out this little orange, peach, pink, whatever color sheet it is, I'm, I'm a man. I only have like six colors in my palette. And so whatever color this is, you'll see on it, it says Sunday serves. And these are opportunities for you to serve. Now, I know that some of you might be thinking right now, well, hey, you know what, am I going to have to sign, like if I serve someplace, like I, do I sign in blood and sell my soul to this thing and like I can never like change or leave? No, that's not the way it works. Like we want you to try it out and say, like, hey, what's working for you? What's helping you develop? And, and you might go, well, uh, yeah, but well, I'm, what if my schedule and it's going to make a commitment and I don't know my schedule and I got all these other things to do? Yep, that's true. And you see that inconvenience? See, when you step out of the center of your life, it's sort of inconvenient. It's kind of the way it works. But it's beautiful and good. When you step out of the center of your life, something good happens in you, which is why it's important. It's, I'm not asking you to serve because we need you to as much as I'm asking you to serve because you need to. Because Jesus wants to do something in you. And maybe you go, well, I, I don't want to miss a service. You don't have to. That's why we have two. And if you're going, I have kids, and I don't want them to have to sit through two services, don't worry. They will not only survive, they will probably like it more than you think. And it will be good for them to see you serve. So what I want to encourage you to do is start to think about, like, if you're not serving, like, where am I going to serve? And if, I, if you already are, I want you to just think about, like, this whole balance between servitude and servanthood. What's going on in my life? How do I serve, especially in the family of believers? Now, because servitude does happen in us, because we're human, it's easily caught up, there's one way I've found that really transforms that for someone, and that's gratitude. Gratitude transforms servitude into servanthood. And so we're going to take a few minutes right now, pull out this little card, 
And I'm going to give you a chance to say thank you. Thank you to someone who's already served you today or maybe this past week at your church family. And so maybe it was someone who maybe you want to say, you don't have to know their name this morning. You can just give it to a group of people. It's maybe the worship team who practiced Thursday and came in early this morning to set up this environment for you so you could experience Jesus. Maybe it's the greeters who smiled at you at the door. Maybe it's the people who opened and unlocked the doors early this morning and put out signs to set up our campus so that people could be welcome. Maybe it's the children, the students, the teachers in the children's ministry who've invested in your kids or the student ministry who tirelessly invest in your teenagers, whoever it is. This morning I'm going to give you time right now in the service to write a thank you out to them, to say thank you to them, to be specific. And as just as a background kind of bonus, we found a good Ray Bolt's 80s song that says this, and if you've been in church at all or at a funeral in the last 20 years, you know this song, okay? So while it's playing, you get to say thank you. It'll give you plenty of time to write it out. Go ahead. Someone called your name We turned and saw this young man And he was smiling as he came And he said, friend You may not know me now And then he said, but wait You used to teach my Sunday school When I was only eight And every week you say a prayer before the class would start and one day when you said that prayer I asked Jesus in my heart thank you for giving to the Lord I have a life that was changed
One by one they came, far as the eye could see. Each life somehow touched by your generosity. Little things that you had done, sacrifices made. I noticed on the earth, in heaven, now proclaimed. And I know up in heaven, you're not supposed to cry. But I am almost sure there were tears in your eyes as Jesus took your hand and you stood before the Lord. He said, "My child, look around you, for great is your reward." That was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am so glad you gave. Thank you for giving to. As much as that song is a bit overplayed um, in the last 20 years, there's an important message there about what it happens when we follow Jesus' example. When we put our step out of the center of our lives and make him the center, then we let others be the center of our lives, how an important change happens in us and in others. And so this morning I want you to, to recognize that through giving that card away I want to encourage you to do it after the service. Go find that person, find that group of people. If it's a children's ministry, just give it to them at the, at the table, and they'll take it back to the teacher. But say thank you. Say thank you to someone for serving. And then be part of it yourself. Make that good decision to say, I want to be part of that myself. I want to find a way to bless others as well. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the other side. There's, I think serving has a kind of a, it's like a two-sided coin. And on one side, Jesus says, listen, Learn downward mobility, how to serve others in a way that says, I'm not going to be the center of my life. But on the other side, he says, as you're doing that, and you're no longer the center of your life, you're going to be able to see more clearly that I already think you're great. I already made you unique. And I want you to discover in what you're doing and how you're doing it, how to do it uniquely, how to impact the world by your unique serve. And so let's talk a little bit about discovering your unique serve in God's world. 
Um, if you look around the auditorium this morning, take a minute, just, just look around. Everybody else is around you for a second. Do you see anyone else that looks like you, that's just like you? Do you think there's anyone else that thinks just like you or feels just like you or does things just like you? No. Do you know why? You know why? Because we are a combination of, of four to the three billionth DNA strands and combinations that make us unique. That's four followed by three billion zeros. That's a really, 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 really big number that makes you incredibly unique. I don't think that that's by accident at all. I think God designed you to be unique for a purpose. But I think we can all get a little discouraged by that and feel like, yeah, but I don't know if I'm, how unique am I? What do I really have to give that's worth it? We can doubt all those things. And Timothy in the scripture was a was an apprentice, a, a protege of the Apostle Paul, and he felt that way a little bit. He was getting a little discouraged about his serving. He was maybe doubting it a little bit. And Paul, in one of his letters, like before he left the planet, said, I, I need to write you another letter, Timothy, because I've heard that this is going on, and here's what I want to say to you. And this is kind of like one of those letters that, like, when someone really writes something meaningful to you, something that really important, this is Paul's letter to Timothy. And here's what he says in 1 Timothy. I am reminded of your sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and now in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, now lives in you also. And for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but it gives us power and love and self-discipline. Paul's saying to Timothy, listen, stop doubting, stop holding back, stop sitting around, stop thinking I don't know what I have to give, and start giving it. Because I want to let you know, you're not on your own. If you choose to follow Jesus, if you choose to step out of the center of your life and say, Jesus, you'll be the center of my world now. I'm giving up my agenda for your agenda. He promises that he'll enter into your life and actually give you the Holy Spirit and that you'll no longer have a a spirit of fear and timidity, but one of power. That you're not doing it alone, you're doing it with him. We don't follow someone who died, we follow someone who died and came back to life, who resurrected and said, I now have power over death and all of these things. And so Jesus says, I will be with you. So fan it into flame. There are lots of reasons that we don't feel competent and it's not unusual. And I just want to let you know that if you ever have doubts about like, do I have enough or what it takes, you're not alone. In fact, when we had to write our 100-word stories, and all of us staff, we wrote them this summer, and we videoed them, and um, I want you to watch mine right now, which is incredibly awkward for me, and yet, there you go. And so my story is particularly intersecting in this thing, so just, just watch, and then we'll talk about it. For a long time, I wondered if my life and my talents really mattered. I had this deep nagging doubt that I would ever have what it takes. I felt klutzy and awkward and in a crowd out of place. And I often felt like I needed to fake it just to make it. One of the greatest lessons I've learned through my relationship with Jesus is that God created me. God loves me the way I am. And that's for a purpose. I'm God's masterpiece, unique, and made to reflect Jesus in my own way to the world. And I found a lot of freedom in that. Freedom to become the very best version of myself. The version that looks and feels, probably most importantly, loves like Jesus. 
you know, for a long time in my life. That was my story, doubting what I had to give and whether it would ever be enough. And, man, such freedom in finding that Jesus loves me. Stepping out of the center of my world freed that up in me to then begin to discover just how great Jesus already thought I was and that there was this great gift to be given. And so I want to encourage you not to hold back, not to be afraid of, like, what do I have to give? And it's easy to do, and I understand it. I've been that journey, and, you know, I mean, the thing I want for you most is to know. You can't be the greatest somebody else. You can't be the greatest Jim or Bob or Joe or somebody else that you feel is really great. But you can be the greatest you. I can be the greatest Sean. That's really the only thing I'll ever, I won't be the greatest dad in the world. I'll never be the greatest husband in the world. I'll never be the greatest pastor in the world. But I can be the greatest Sean. That's what God's asked me to be. That's what I want to be. And he wants you to be great too. In your own unique way. God has that ahead of you. He wants that for you. And I think you probably want it too to really experience that kind of greatness that God has for you. And so I want to encourage you that there are some ways that you can discover that. So let me tell you about two important ways that you can discover. How did God design me uniquely? How can I do that? Because I think sometimes we think, like, well, if I'm doing this task, but that's not really me, and I don't know how to do that, and, well, what am I going to be about it? You know what? People, for the longest time, I didn't know what to do with this. People would meet me, and they didn't know, like, what I did. And, you know, so I'd just be talking with them, and they'd ask me what I do. And I'm like, I'm a pastor. I'm like, really? You're a pastor? And I'm like, yeah, I'm as surprised as you are, really. <laughs> and so as a part of that journey was also me recognizing, though, that God made me me to give this gift in the way he wants me to give it. And so I just do it. That doesn't make me great, and I don't do it all the, the same ways as everybody else does, but... I have a gift to give uniquely. And I've, as I've begun to discover that, that's freed me to bless others. And I know that they, they feel blessed in ways that I'm like, oh my, I can't believe they're coming to me for advice on X, Y, or Z. And I realize that's not what they're coming to me for. They're coming for me because I've stepped out of the way of Jesus. And in that moment, I hope that they can experience a reflection of Jesus because I've stepped out of the center of my life. And now Jesus can be reflected well through through the unique way that he's designed me, to ask good questions, to help them ponder things. This is the gift I have to give, and so I give it. He has the same thing in your life. So how do you do that? Well, at the November workshops, we try to answer, we're going to answer three questions. This is what we do at Journey Class. We answer three questions that help you discover that. What do I do best? How do I do it best on a team? And then the one that most people ask a lot, and that's where do I do it? Like, where do I sign up? Where do I go for this? What's What's next? And so one of the things we offer, and I offer this to you today, if you go out to roadtrip.daybreakweb.com, you can download a passion. It's called the Ministry Passion Inventory. And if you'll download that, it'll, it's, there's some questions in there, and it'll just help you take a look of, like, what do I, what's God care about? Because God cares about everything, right? Like, he cares about everything. But you and I can't care about everything the same. Some of you care about, like, lost cats. I couldn't give a rip, okay? And, like, like, I'm just not a cat person, and I don't mean that really. I mean, I, if your cat's lost, I'm sorry. Don't write me a response card. I, re- I do care that your cat's lost. But, but here's the thing, okay? I, I just can't care about cats the way I care about other things. God didn't design me that way. But he might have designed you that way. And he may have designed you to care about something else in the world that I don't care about, and me to care about something that you don't care about, because each of us have a little sliver of his heart. Our hearts are not big enough to contain all the things that God cares about. But you need to find and discover the few things that God has given you to care deeply about. 
That's what a passion inventory does. And the second way, so passion inventory, that's one way. Sign up for the workshop. We'll coach you on it. We'll help you through it. The second way that can help you on this journey is this. If I, I promise you that if you just come and spectate and live life, you'll probably never quite discover it. But if you'll stop just sitting there, if you'll stop just resisting, you'll just experiment. Don't just sit there. Do something. Like, do something in your life. Experiment. We offer all these opportunities like David going on a missions trip or, or like on, this, on the backside of this whatever color sheet this is, it says unique service. There are agencies, there's ways at daybreak, unique ways that you can say, let me try that out. Let me see how that fits. Let me see if I deeply care about that. The way you find you deeply care about something is by doing it and going, ah, this is what strikes me and it helps you discover, like, this is how I uniquely contribute to it. It gives you confidence in it. So don't just sit there. Do something. Do something. Many of you might already know that you need to fan it into flame. Fan into flame what God has given you to do. Have you ever met one of those people or, like, followed someone and you see, like, they have every bumper sticker in the world in the back of their car? They seem to care about everything, like breast cancer, lost dogs, um, the, the, the world economy, the ecology. Like, every bumper sticker in the world is about their car. They love everything. And you know on Facebook they like everything, right? But what you, what you really think is, I wonder how much they do about what they talk about. Right? Isn't it annoying when you meet somebody and you're like, I'm so tired about you hearing you about this, and you never, never do anything about this? Like, you're really annoyed about it, but you, like, it's annoying when someone is annoying about something, but they don't do anything about it. Until you realize that you've been talking about something. That there's something in your life that you care deeply about, but you haven't done anything about it. And then you go, God, I, I want to be that person who does something. So, let me rearrange something. I mean, what if, what if all this took was for you to really experience the best of God, true greatness? What if all of it took was for you to rearrange your schedule a little bit? What if all it took was you to just step out and take a little bit, just a little risk? What if all it took was you to sign up on your car response car today for one of those serves and say, I'm going to try something, I'm going to do something? What if all it took was you to stop sitting and start doing what if that's all it took? And in the process of that, don't just do it to do it. Please hear what we said. Jesus said it's about what's happening on the inside as you do it that transforms you and others. What if that's all it took? So this morning, I want you to take some time. I want you to get out your response card. And over the next few minutes, we're going to play a video. I just want you to, as you take in this song by Matthew West, do something. I want you to think about, God, what are you asking me to do? Go to the workshop, give out that thank you card, fill out a ministry passion, sign up for something. Like, what is it, God, that you're asking me to do? Because I want to do it. So take some time, consider that. Make a response to God this morning as we consider not just sitting there, but letting God use us in an important way. This morning, saw a world full of trouble. Now I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever gonna turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty, children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven. 
How are you going to forget that? Really, really. Would you stand today? We heard this morning that Jesus needs to be the center of our world, not us. Trading our agenda for his agenda. And this song will help with it.